Welcome to Mass Culture's MC Minds, where we delve deeper into the intelligence of Canadian thought leaders in the arts. I'm your host, Mindy Doherty Griffiths. In this podcast, we engage with the Massey Levesque Report, premised on the recent critical essay by Zainab Vergi in Canadian art titled The Great Canadian Amnesia. Zainab today is joined by Narendra Pachkade in discussing the politics of the report as well as how the essay engages with the Massey Levesque Commission report. The Massey Levesque Commission, formerly known as the Royal Commission on National Development in the Arts, Letters and Sciences, was established in 1949. In the two years following, five commissioners hosted 114 public hearings in 16 cities in all 10 provinces. They received over 1,200 witnesses and 462 briefs. The Commission studies on specific topics, established four advisory committees, met 224 times, and logged over 10,000 miles. When they finally reported in May 1951, the 517-page report contained 146 recommendations and was accompanied by 55 volumes of supporting documentation. The scope of the inquiry was unprecedented in Canada and has never been repeated. The Massey-Levesque Report is a foundational document and remains so for the Canadian arts sector. Five years after the release of the report saw the establishment of the Canada Council for the Arts, the creation of Libraries and Archives Canada, and an expansion on the National Film Board. I'm Zainab Virgi and I'm delighted to be here today and participate in this. A large part of my career has really been in art and culture and really about who gets represented and who doesn't. I've worked around issues of race, gender, identity and have shaped Canada's cultural policy at all levels of government. One of the things that I can really proud of is the work I did on the BC Arts Board when I was appointed by Minister Darlene Matsari, which led to the making of the first or the BC Arts Council. I'm currently the Executive Director of the Ontario Association of Art Galleries. Lovely good morning and this is Narendra Patskhede. I'm a Commonwealth Fellow. I am a founder of Centre for Inquiry into Social. It is a Paris, Canada, India-based research undertaking uh, wherein we look into uh, certain social phenomena from a very philosophical perspectives and try to understand the, some of the contemporary events, some controlling texts and how certain notions about a trajectory of society is moving in. That is where I find this particular document, the Massey-Levesque Report, as a fascinating document, almost a controlling text, so to say. Though this particular document is pretty old, the way it dictates our present is something which fascinates me personally and so I'm absolutely excited and delighted actually to have an opportunity to uh, share some of my perspectives on it. Zainab, your recent article, The Great Canadian Amnesia, began by stating that Canada's 1950s cultural policy still shapes and even strangles the art scene in 2018. The Massey Report has not allowed us to grow. How so? The essay is really about how the Massey Report was created and became the armature of a state-defined culture in Canada 
and also gave rise to this idea of you know creating Canadian um, content. And, and it's really about what is the framework or the paradigm in which we can think about art and culture in a particular way. And given that this was a defining policy that was created, it needs examination. What the essay is saying is basically it, it was a particular ideology that it supported. And it was an elitist one. And when that occurs, what then gets left out? And we're still bound by this report to this very day. So what's happened is that I think the the, the agency uh, uh, of artists was robbed, and and because you had an elitist official culture, but everything that didn't fall within that then was not accepted. When I was hired as the inaugural director for the city of Mississauga to create its first office of arts and culture and develop its first cultural master plan, there's been a real struggle in a city like that and, and, and maybe even in the rest of Canada and in the regions, whereby the practice of artists are, are deemed as amateur or even hobbyists or crafters but not really artists because they don't get official state funding. So this has created a real problem. So anyone that's an amateur or engages in community arts or is indigenous or come from racialized communities get defined in very different ways in this country. And, and so this article, you know, and just to say how so in 2018, we can see from the start of that doc, you know, from the creation of that policy document to today when somebody like Amy Fung, you know, really speaks about it as entitled aesthetics. And so you can see from when Susan Crean writes about it, when she calls Who's Afraid of Canadian Culture, all the way today, where it's really a problem. And so the, the, the essay is really about, you know, we're saying that we need a new, something new. What I liked about that, that particular piece was uh, your uh, underlining of this notion of what is called amnesia, uh, which basically uh, kind of hinted towards as if the current generation of either the policy makers or even the larger artist community have no idea where, say, for instance, why and how Canada Council is there. They, I mean, it is taken for granted, oh, artists should be paid, state funded, and that's fine. Yes, as a rhetoric, it works very fantastically. It sounds good. Oh, the state is funding us. Uh, but the story doesn't, neither begins or end there. So yes, Massey Lavac report introduced these ideas, but state funding for what? And for whom? And that what and whom and even how became the most problematic aspect, which has not been talked about. It is like you have just been in this slumber and you're just forgotten about it and intentionally you're forgotten about it because by questioning that there is a kind of an implicit notion that oh my god perhaps our state funding would go away for the artists but that's not the point one does not realize that was a political project at a particular historical time for a very specific reason and those reasons were nothing but political and so we need to understand these aspects in more exploratory ways as well as very analytical ways. And I think that is what I think should be a premise of a reasonable conversation. 
The scope of the inquiry was unprecedented at the time, covering the entire field of letters, the arts and sciences within the jurisdiction of the federal state. Is a commission of this scale beneficial or detrimental to the arts and cultural sector? It's really not about the scale that is important, but it's really what was the terms of reference for that commission. And what were the drivers? Like, what was the endeavor behind it? And, and I think that's really the more important question, if you will. It might have been countrywide and might have gone to certain places, but who did it really go to? Who really gave input? And then what was the outcome of that? Who really defined that is maybe more, perhaps more the question. I think that's important because I don't think that the commission really had those questions in mind. It had its own agenda, which was how do we become separate and different from the United States, but how do we fit into the, the civilizational model? And I think that that is really more important uh, the question than, than really kind of the scale of it because it wasn't digging into the places that it may have. It is interesting that you bring about the civilization mission. I mean, that's the scale. It is not artists and number of disciplines and the scope of the country. The whole intent was nothing but this was the first war of civilization. We talk of post-2001, 9-11. We talk of the second war of civilization. Massey-Levac report was part of that entire first war of civilization. It becomes part of this larger Western project, but largely centered into Eurocentric ideas, uh, wherein the notion of fighting the communists was the primary objective and that that plays out all the way till the turn of the century this whole talk of civilizational mission uh, and all is not something new it's it's as old as then so i think the scale was that and we have to understand appropriately in terms of how it was framed to create that entire notion of the idea of eurocentric premise so that it is pummeled through in an ideological framework and allow the politics of the day to dictate and go forward. What it did was it allowed art to contribute or art became the big uh, contributor to so-called great internationalism that emerged. It was a big force. It is not in the sense of how uh, the scale really takes uh, account of necessarily the scope of art and artists. It was, uh, the, the, it was largely from this perspective of civilizing mission. I think that was the scale. Could you elaborate on what is meant by Cold War style divisions and how it plays a major role in the creation and content of the Massey-Levesque report? The Cold War was the fight between communism and capitalism, totalitarianism versus freedom. And so this commission was really about aligning itself very ideologically with that civilizational Eurocentric place, because that was where civilization was being defined, as it were. In this context, I think art was really valued and related only in this ideological project. This is how Canada 
through culture was going to align itself with this with this ideology. So I think that this reference to Cold War it is in that context of like which ideology was it going to go and support. It was very clear which what Canada was going to do. And you can see, you know, it's already starting to create a, a narrative. And I think it's Joyce Zeman says even the you know the group of seven are already kind of being written about as if they are the past, although they're still alive and their works are being shown. So you can see that a, a narrative is starting to be constructed. The Cold War needs to be uh, one way to understand the impact of Cold War on Canadian art. I think there can't be a better thing than uh, Massey Levac report. And that's why it is underlining the fact that it still controls literally the way you think about Canada, about Canadian art, as much as about the world. I'm not trying to say that they are wrong or right. That's not the that's not the conversation. The conversation is we need to take account. We need to engage with it because many decades have gone by, and we need to fine tune it, recalibrate, reconfigure, uh, rearticulate, and that's the point. And that's why Zainab's essay uh, is the fantastic reminder to engage, uh, and it's glad that at least we are having a conversation. Some things never change, and one of them cited in the Massey-Levesque report, unfortunately, is the poverty of most practicing artists in Canada. In the chapter, The Artist and the Writer, the case is made that no artist can live off their art in Canada. Now, knowing this doesn't seem to be enough. Their reference to the idea of poverty of artists or writer has nothing to do as how it is positioned today, that artists and writers don't make money and they need to be funded. Here, what they are trying to say is, first, they have figured out this is the culture, that is the elite culture. They are trying to pass it off as a popular culture. They have shunned the other elements and now they are trying to define this is the culture and these are the set of people who have to be given money by the state. establishes this relationship between the imperatives of funding artists and writers, which means artists and writers will be deployed in the service of the state for the objectives as we spoke earlier. And so the poverty is used as a kind of a rationalization to give money, to kind of allocate resources by the state towards these constituents. Well, its mission was to provide state funding for a very particular purpose and context. It's never really been concerned about reducing poverty. The state funding has never been about that. It's not about taking care of the well-being of artists in that aspect. It was to create that narrative and then to make that, you know, official Canadian culture an elitist one and ideologically based in, in on camp. I'm not trying to dismiss the idea that there's immense poverty. Yes, there is. Uh, artists, as a broader category, are very poor. Uh, health issues and hundred different homelessness and God knows we can list the entire thing. I'm not dismissing, but I'm saying this report does not address that uh, from that perspective. Throughout the Massey Levesque report, it states: For Canada, culture is what can make it great and what can make it one. 
When embarking on research at such a broad scale as this, how do you ensure a multitude of voices are represented well? I myself have said, and I, I think I even quote, that you know perhaps we need a new framework, uh, and we need to see a whole set of different voices, and we you know need to see something very new. But how can it be different when we live in such a strangled condition of, and our imagination is so strangled? I mean, the psyche of the country has to change for this change to occur. We'd have to reassess what is art, who is it for, whose art, what is its relationship for this, to the state. I mean, the whole study would, would have to really focus on a relationship between artists and art and the nation. We really want to work with the idea and, and you know, understand the centrality of art and culture in society. That requires a real shift in imagination. We have become so used to this idea of the funding model, this idea of the public good, which is dying very quickly more for the private good. How can we rethink this framework? What can make us break the stranglehold it has on our imagination of what we can be? Of course, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I do think that it requires I something think, quite yeah, different. It is about how this particular uh, report robbed the agency of artists. How are social actors, in this case, the artists, capable of critically evaluating and reconstructing the conditions of their own lives. Fundamentally, what you're talking about is the notion of freedom. What freedom does an artist have? Essentially, what one needs to do is, and what is not there, is to reestablish the agency, the free agency of an artist, then only you are going to have this issue front and center. And why I'm saying free agency of artists? Because artists are the most privileged people. They are privileged in why they are privileged? Because of the mode of thinking. What does what that mode of thinking do? It questions the politics of the day. And that's the reason when authoritarian regimes come, who are the first people who are killed? Artists. They represent that free agency. And that is the agency which has been co-opted by the state by giving them money. And that is, that is the deeper and the larger kind of a question uh, which could perhaps needs to be addressed when we start thinking about what could be this new commission. So bringing in these elements in is something very important. But if you just take that idea of the artists regaining their agency to be free, that would allow us to rethink, to be something else, to reimagine. And, and that's not going to happen without artists. It's going to happen with artists. When you say now you're just creative, it's really just, oh, it means like I'm a, you know, entrepreneur. This is not about those ideals that we, we imagine that we have. We don't. So, what can turn a country on its head? What can change the way we think about things? It's a long and complex, and it's not one thing. I really do think, and I've said this for a long time, is that 
we have lost the access to our imagination. It's become an endangered place. We don't know how to think anymore. We know how to be sheep, how to be herded, how to follow. We don't know how to think. But I'm not saying that individuals don't and that there isn't political activism, but even that is so controlled. Where is that zone of contemplation that is happening? Where is that idea that central to the idea of art and culture is fundamental human expression of freedom? And that is, that is just completely absent. In short, artists have mortgaged their imagination to Canada Council, to the state of Canada, and that's it. There's nothing more. And so it's like, it's the same bind that individuals find. Are you paying, are you doing your job to pay your mortgage to the bank? Or you're doing a job because you are excited to do that job or whatever it is. It is that same bind. You live your life to pay the bank. That is, the, that is what artists have ended up to be. So quoting your article, Zainab, Art became valued mainly in terms of nationalism and encouraging a single national identity rather than other values. Can a oneness be reached through these efforts? So I think that the question is, do we want a oneness? Do we want that one homogenizing voice? Because that's already so prevalent, you know, and, and when we're sheep and we're following, we're all doing the same thing and, and driven to like the same things and consume the same things and make and produce the same things. This isn't about reaching that homogenized space. This is about really having the plurality of voices that can be in conversation with each other. How, how, how can we ensure a multitude of voices that could be represented in making this change? I think a lot of other things have to occur first in some ways for, for a new kind of framework or a new imagined Canada, cultural Canada or what that can be. But it definitely is one that should avoid that homogenization because that's one that actually becomes sanitized. You know, and I think that's very problematic because then you've lost again really the potential for something very, very different. This idea of oneness is quite troubling. And what that kind of oneness essentially does is it starts excluding a lot because you're trying to say the whole society is one. It is a difficult proposition to make because the subsequent demands would be difficult to fulfill. You look at the cultural politics of the day, anywhere in the world, not just in Canada or US, across in Europe, uh, in Hungary, in France, in Poland, uh, in England, in India, in Turkey, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Japan. It's absolutely very troubling. Troubling in the sense it definitely is nothing to do with oneness business. Yet it is all been done in the name of oneness. Has mass culture got the potential to break through? But if it's being framed along these things, pluralism 
equity, inclusion, democratization of policy-related content, all the new revenue models for bridging the culture funding gap, etc. Artists as professionals. And each one of these in itself requires a huge amount of unpacking and critical investigation behind them because each one of these are actually what we've just spoken about, part and parcel of that imagination and that thinking. We need to have a lot more conversations and we need to have a lot more critical thinking in, in order for us to unpack because we, we're, we're used to working in very particular frames. And these are very complex contexts. To find out more about the Massey-Levesque Commission and Zainab Vergi's article, The Great Canadian Amnesia, check out MassCulture's website, www.massculture.ca, and join our growing network as a way of staying connected to cultural research. MC Minds would like to thank Zainab Vergi and Narendra Pachkade, Stephen Hurley of Voice Said Radio, Toronto Arts Council, and the Toronto Public Library for making all of this possible.